Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? (laughs) We're getting through the week. Uh, I hope you're all feeling a little bit better. You know, we've got the inauguration behind us and anyone that's been tracking all the movement in the Biden administration, whether those are, you know, whether you all are supporters of Biden or not, a lot's happened. Um, and you know, we're, we've talked about this, uh, and some of this has been in the news, but just wanted to kind of go back and retroactively just kind of map what's been happening thus far, which really profound when things happen immediately hitting the ground running. I mean, Biden has done thus far in such a short period of time, a lot for LGBTQIA plus rights. Um, including an executive order that ensures protections against discrimination for LGBTQ plus people. That's phenomenal. Um, And this is a quote, every person should be treated with respect and dignity and should be able to live without fear, no matter who they are or whom they love. I love this. Uh, This is all in the order. Uh, It says children should be able to learn without worrying about whether they will be denied access to the bathroom, restroom, or school sports. Um, and also I love this as well, because we're talking about protections based on gender and sexual orientation, that adults should be able to earn a living and pursue a vocation, knowing that they will not be fired, demoted, or mistreated because of whom they go home to, or because of how they dress. Love this. And, uh, HRC, the human rights campaign has called it. Ooh, these are big terms. The most substantive wide ranging LGBTQIA order in history. Sit with that. That's phenomenal because we were watching the Trump administration roll back a lot of rights for people that are trans or gay or queer. And we even saw him removing the webpage from the administration, the White House's website around protections and rights. So that was really scary for a lot of people. That doesn't mean, again, that the work is done and the work is over. There's still a lot we have to do, but definitely makes me feel good knowing that we have someone in a position of power that's doing the best they can and trying to really take these things seriously. Um, really important. Also wanted to just again, tap in on this whole idea of unity. It came up in a beautiful way. Anyone that remembers the inauguration, uh, a lot of the women were wearing purple, which is a hybrid of red and blue. And that was this idea of, you know, coming together, unification, and you know some of that's important and meaningful, but I also want to know. I want to speak from a trauma-informed perspective and just say that you know unity is great. It's a good buzzword, but unity is not safe, especially for someone that's been victimized or exploited or marginalized. Uh, those that have done that or in positions of power don't have a right to gaslight and just demand immediate unity and acceptance and say we're moving on. It's a new time. No, that harm and those wounds have existed for a long time for many people, but. Um, unity can't be expected or demanded unless there's accountability, right? We have to be able to look for and expect accountability and change. Um, 
Otherwise, this use of the word unity and these demands for moving forward and coming together is just another form of victim blaming or gaslighting and another form of abuse. So remember, whether we're talking about the change of administration or political differences or, you know, a former relationship with someone, you know, we're allowed to still hold boundaries and not engage until there's a level of accountability. And so um, that's what a lot of people are still needing to see from friends, loved ones, and family members that maybe supported Trump or a Republican. They can't just say, you know, we got to come together. It's like, sure, as soon as you've demonstrated that you're safe, right? And that you've had, there's been accountability and shift because anyone who's been oppressed has a right to still have suspicion and boundaries with the oppressors, right? And that's why I pushed back on these early concepts of, we need to be focusing on coming together, sure, when it's safe, but we can't just let our guard down, right, and build unity with individuals that have voted against our right, our human rights, and our and our well-being, especially when it's been consistent. And for some people, this has been decades and decades. This has been, you know, intergenerational trauma and violence and oppression that's been passed down. So we, we definitely, that definitely, definitely, definitely matters. Um, and that's why there's also going to see headlines. I remember yesterday on uh, Twitter, someone was saying, why is TERF uh, trending? And TERF stands for Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminist. So basically, you can't be anti-trans and be a feminist. That's just not possible. But there are some people that call themselves feminists, and they're anti-trans individuals. And um, <clears throat> Biden has been upsetting them by shifting some of these rules and these laws. And, you know, we still remember the J.K. Rowling debacle. Uh, she dug her heels in and still continues to and is definitely not a friend of uh, trans individuals, which is heartbreaking for people that have been friends of her work. And that's why, you know, just individuals like her, people are like, I don't want to support her work or the work of others like her. And you can't just say, let's let it go. Let's move on. It's like, no, because people like her still haven't taken accountability. And so they're not safe to be around. And I know that that comes up generally around the holidays. We <laughs> didn't have to worry about that as much because of COVID. Uh, but, you know, with the vaccines rolling out, this might be something we'll talk about again as the new year rolls around and people are again up against what do I do in terms of family members that don't support me and who I am. Um, important stuff. But, okay, we got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about mental health check-ins, how to do it, what it means, by starting with just the whole concept of what is mental health? right? We, we, we need to have an understanding of what it is we're even trying to hold ourselves accountable to or work towards. And then finally, we're going to talk about bump it a bump bum how to go on a successful first date. And we can even be dating while safely. We'll talk about it uh, during times of COVID. But uh, there's definitely ways to maximize <laughs> and show up as our best on a first date. So we'll be talking about that. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about mental health. How do we do a mental health check? What are the things we need to talk about? What are the things we need to consider? How do we look out for the mental health of other people? It's an ongoing conversation, especially as different, you know, context shift, political events, um, historical moments, just what's going on in our own general world. We're always looking at the micro, right? Your world, what's happening individually and personally within your own social scene and your family. And then also there's the macro, right? <clears throat> all of that personal stuff, the micro is dropped right into the middle of the macro and all of that matters. And that's why mental health is never just a matter of, um, it's a genetic issue or it's a social issue. It's like within the context of everything else. And then what was our history like? right? How does this reenact or trigger or bring up something from our past, thereby 
complexifying and complicating whatever it is we're going through. So look, we want to check in on ourselves, but um, <clears throat> we, we need to check in on others. We talk about that all the time on the show, but how do we ask ourselves how we're doing? Um, and again, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so some of these things aren't really your normative mental functioning as much as it's, again, you trying to deal with all that you're up against. Feeling flat, feeling irritable, feeling isolated as a result of the fact that you don't have access to other people or the world, that's not um, a, a uh, neurological, that is not a genetic, that is not a biological issue or cause. That's a natural, healthy response to what's going on in the world. And that's why I'm not calling the anxiety, the depression, or the loneliness a disorder. It's not a disordered response. That's actually a very ordered response. Your mental health should not be at its most robust in these times. That is how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to feel anxious in the face of anxiety. You're supposed to feel isolated in times of isolation. That's a natural, ordered, healthy, expected response. We don't want to pathologize that. That is not a disorder. Um, that doesn't mean it feels good. That doesn't mean we necessarily can't do things to try to uh, weaken or reduce some of the impact. <clears throat> but I want to normalize the experience. So some people are calling it a cultural disorder, a cultural pathology. I don't use words like that. Um, I don't think that that's helpful or empowering. I want to normalize the experiences that we're all having or the ones that we might have, right? So that's the entry point. It is an understanding, um, it's an understandable response. Uh, we even use words like post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, the post-traumatic symptoms aren't a disorder. They are natural expected ways to respond to some of the things we encounter. And so it's just post-traumatic stress. We want to get rid of the word disorder. It's just PTS, post-traumatic stress. It's the stress as a result of a trauma, the stress that occurs after a trauma. We're all in the face of that. So a lot of it is um, depressive response, right? It's an anxiety-induced response. And we want to talk about it in confident ways. We cannot check in on our own mental health. We cannot check in on the mental health of others. We cannot start getting that collective conversation going if we feel bad or shame about how we're feeling. I try to take it, you know, as a challenge to myself as a public figure, as someone with a platform to talk about my own struggles, to normalize that even someone like myself who has access to a lot of resources and maybe has better coping skills is more comfortable and familiar with some of the tips and tricks and ways to cope and access to self-care, I'm still gonna have those experiences. I'm still feeling hyper-isolated. I'm still feeling very flattened. Um, I'm still struggling to find joy and pleasure in some of the things that used to generate that for me, right? The pressure is different. The complexity is there. Things are amplified, right? There's an amplification. Whatever we might have normally felt on a smaller scale, it's been amplified, <laughs> you know? Uh, and it's more persistent. That isolation is not momentary. It is not just for the day. It is for the week. It has been for months. It will continue to be. And there's an awareness of that. And that's why, again, we're not trying to toxically be positive in the face of things that are not. <laughs> And we are honoring some of the darker parts of what's happening while also acknowledging that joy and pleasure can still be found. That is not to, um, again, be toxically positive and to shame feeling bad. Feel your feelings. Again, mental health is about the ability to feel a diverse range of human emotion and to feel it deeply and to not feel shame or guilt about feeling it or to feel it deeply, right? And the more we can express where we're at, the more others start to be able to do so. So again, if you're in a relationship and you want more intimacy, more ability to hold emotion, you start by bringing that forward. 
right? You start by doing that for your partner and that normalizes and that changes the relationship you have with the family member, the loved one, the friend, your romance partner. Um, so how, so what are some of the ways that we can begin that process on an individual level of starting to check in with ourselves, right? Um, and it's about shifting our consciousness. Most of us are so focused on the external, all the things that are going on in the world that we ignore the internal. It's very hard to take time to check in and sit with yourself when you have to feed the kids, when you have to get a project done for your boss, when your partner is sick or needs something from you, right? There's so much going on. <laughs> it's hard to prioritize ourselves. We often have shame and guilt about the idea of saying, I need to focus a little bit more on myself. I can't, I'm a mom. I can't, I'm a husband. I'm a breadwinner. I can't, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an individual struggling to make, get my basic needs met. All of that's real. All of that is real. So the question becomes existentially or philosophically, how, while we have so much responsibility for maybe others, how, while we're in the context of so much happening in the world, <laughs> we're still trying to be activists. We're still trying to have compassion and care and follow COVID protocols, even as the vaccine's rolling out. We're still trying to deal with the trauma of having been through um, a presidency of Trump that was a dictatorship and, and, and rooted in fascism and white supremacy. How in the, in, the, in the mix of all of that do we take time to focus on ourselves and not feel self-centered in doing so? That's a question I ask myself. But I realize that it isn't self-centered. It's self-centering, right, to consider self. And that that actually makes us better able to do all the other things we need to do and to help others. It's easy sometimes as a therapist to use these metaphors, but I want everyone to think of that, that if our gas tank is empty or if our well is dry, we have nothing then to offer anyone else. And so again, we need to be more self-centering. When we come back, we're gonna talk more about what that looks like and how to go through that process because I want this to become more familiar and normalized. Um, question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So when we come back, we'll be talking more about how to do a mental health check-in with ourselves. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about how we do a mental health check-in. In the last segment, we were talking a little bit about how we even begin to build confidence and meaning and value in doing so with all that's going on. <laughs> um, we're trying to be so selfless and a lot of us are trying to be so compassionate. We're trying to be, like I said, activists, but also taking care of all the different relationships within which you know, we participate in our lives and we have so many responsibilities and the external world is so demanding and there's so much to encounter and deal with. How do we even take the time or have the energy, the consciousness to sit with ourselves and check in with ourselves, but we need to. And I think first we just have to start to prioritize and normalize, realize that it's not self-centered, it's self-centering. When we do self-care, it's self-centering. Um, it's okay to do that. And now we do want more collective care, I do agree with those that say self-care really is an unfair responsibility to put on the individual when we should all be looking out for each other. And I agree with that. And that's what's so distressing about what's happened with COVID where people are like, oh, it's an individual decision. And if I'm willing to set myself up for the risk of infection, that's up to me. But, but there's a missing piece in that, which is it also impacts others. And that's what we do have to talk about collective responsibility and collective care. And we focus so much on self-care and individualism. I only have to worry about myself. No, that's not true. No one's gotten anywhere 
and no one's been successful or no one's been healthy by doing things all on their own. It's always been on the shoulders of others or with the support of others. You cannot give me one situation where it was completely self-run and created. There's always input, involvement, support, or whatnot from others. And collective responsibility is what we need. Collective care as well. I wish we were able to say, hey, listen, I noticed that you have a lot of responsibilities. Can I watch your children for you? Can I help cook dinner for you? Can I help you get some of your needs met? But we don't think in those terms. We think in terms of our side of the street, our family only, our family first, myself, right? We need to give more. We are responsible for others. When we see homelessness, that's a responsibility on all of us. That's a failure on all of us. That is a collective social failure that homelessness exists. People unable to get their basic health care, that is a failure on all of us. That is a failure on our culture and our society because the success of a, a culture or society is not in how much money we're generating. It's in how well are we taking care of each other? How, how, how much of the needs are met by the individuals that are participating? And when we see homelessness, joblessness, lack of health care, um, even addiction, that is all a sign of cultural and social failure. We are responsible to find homes for everyone. We are responsible to make sure everyone's feeding themselves and getting food. We are responsible to make sure everyone has access to shelter, right? We need to get away from toxic individualism. That's probably one of the core issues, greed, and toxic individualism. And part of that is coming from cultural capitalism. We are a capitalist culture where we think everything is about productivity and money generated. People are literally, literally having money made on their backs, but yet they, make, they walk away with no healthcare and not even making a basic minimum wage. But yet the people who you're doing that work for have multiple homes, right? And that's why we're talking about trying to reinvest that. And that's where defunding the police comes in. Taking money that's gone to the 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 uh, you know reinforcement of some white supremacy and classism, and we'll talk about that another time than we have in the past, but taking those resources and distributing them the programs to help the basic structure of how our culture is going, giving people healthcare access to employment, mental health services. That's how we really get rid of those issues. We see things like architectural, um, anti-homeless architecture, which means you see benches with handles so no one can use that as a bed. You see areas where someone without a home might pitch a tent or sleep, and now there's spikes or rocks placed there. We are just keep we are ignoring the real solutions, and we're just trying to keep pushing people out. Where do you think these people are going, right? That's a responsibility for all of us. So when you see someone living on the street, you have to say, how have I been a part of that happening, right? And so we need more collective responsibility, more collective care. We do want to talk about that. But right now we're going to go back to the original point, which is how do we do a mental health check-in with ourselves when all this is happening, right? Realizing that if we're not taking care of ourselves, we're not really going to be able to take care of others, but we want to keep an eye on others. And that's where some people really problematize the wellness industry or the misuse of Eastern philosophy and yoga, which was about connecting to God, being better for others. That is the roots of yoga from Hinduism. How do I be better for others? That's what yoga was rooted in, not getting a butt, a better butt, not getting a yoga body. It's a cultural appropriation to the worst degree and also a misuse of those tools, right? Um, and the wellness industry, it's not about how to empower and become better to go out and change the world. It's still self-obsessive. Self you know, it's about you calming yourself, you making your life more at peace. Well, the missing second step is so then you can go out into the world and do something, lift as we climb, heal so we can go heal. But people wanna stay inside worrying about themselves only and their family only and doing all these spiritual practices and these mental health exercises to just improve self, but you improve self so you can go out and make the world better. That's called engaged spirituality. Not, not spiritual bypassing, not spiritual materialism, which is for personal use and gain. It's a misuse of all of those things. Um, 
we're going to talk more when we come back, but uh, when we come back, we're going to first go into the DMs and then we're going to talk about what are the exact steps, the step-by-step that we can do so we can focus on our own mental health because that is my goal for this year is getting everyone to have more collective responsibility, right? But also doing that self-centering work not self-centered. We're getting away from the self-centered and doing the self-centering. So coming up next is the DMs. And like I said, then we'll be coming back and talking about how to do this. And uh, some question of the night, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we are back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, this one's a little bit of a long one, so hang in there with us. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I'm getting pretty annoyed with my boyfriend. His name is Justin. We've been together for almost three years. Recently, though, he's been way more controlling. If the towels aren't hung right, he flips out. If I'm eating something in front of the TV and take a break from eating for a few minutes, he immediately asks if I'm done and cleans up my things, even if I'm not. Can OCD develop later in life? Well, this isn't OCD. <laughs> uh, what we're talking about is someone who has poor impulse control and self-regulation. That's not what OCD looks like. Um, and here your question also says, because I think that's what he has. Nope. Uh, you said he acknowledges that he's been a little bit more uptight lately, but it's getting to the point where I literally feel like sometimes if I don't fold the laundry right, it will cause a huge fight. Yeah, so it's not OCD. <laughs> um, it's not obsessive compulsive disorder. It's that he's uptight. It's that he's being controlling. It's that he's not regulating himself. It's that he has... Um, yeah, he's getting frustrated too quickly. So first, a couple of things. Um, you're an adult, and so I want you to sit down and say, it's not okay for you to talk to me like that, and it's also not okay for you to try to control me. I'm an adult, and how I live and what I do matters as well, and I'm allowed to fold the laundry in the ways that make sense and feel good to me, and I'm allowed to eat where I need to eat. And part of a healthy relationship is what we call mutuality, and that means we both have mutual amounts of power. If you're in a relationship where one person has more power than the other, you're not in a healthy relationship. So if you're not in a position in this relationship where you can say, you need to stop talking to me like that, and you'll know I'm finished eating when you see me walk my plate into the sink, but until then, do not touch it. If that can't be honored and respected, then we have a bigger issue. You're in an unhealthy relationship. And I'd want to unpack and understand why your partner feels like they're in a position to tell you what to do, because that's going to show up in many different ways. So it's a control thing, right? There's maybe even some narcissism in there, um, but definitely not OCD by any means at all. Um... And so that's the first point. How did this person get in the position where they think that they can control and empower you and you need to push back on that? And what I mean by that is not only sitting them down, telling them they need to stop, but not honoring it. If they put take your plate away, go back and get it. And if this person is verbally or physically abusive, it's time to leave. But if they're not, well, then you need to stand in your power and tell them to knock it off. But every time you allow it, you're feeding it and fueling it. This person, your boyfriend, might be stressed out by what's going on and they're trying to control the environment because they can't control much else. They might be stressed out and burnt out because of things going on at work and they're taking it out on you because that's the only place they feel empowered to take it out on. So your boyfriend needs to figure out what this is about, but I'm looking out for your mental health. And so you need to set boundaries and tell them it's not acceptable. And if he continues to do that, then you're going to have to have a different kind of conversation because it's impacting your mental health negatively and you have a right to feel safe in your own home. And I want you to work on standing in your power and saying, do not do that and do not talk to me like that. Period. End of story. There's no fight to be had. This person needs to regulate themselves better. So when you say that he flips out, I don't know what that means. If it's physical or verbal, then you leave the relationship. If it's not, then you set a boundary, right? Um, because this person's trying to kind of take control and you live there too. So you have a right to decide how it goes. And there is no right way 
let me, let me make this clear. There is no right way to fold a towel. There is no right way to put things in a dishwasher. They can go in however you want them to. People tend to nitpick and they like it in the ways that make them comfortable. But part of being in a relationship and part of living with someone is to be made uncomfortable because we accommodate what the other person needs, which is as important as what we need. And if he wants it folded the right way, he can go fold it the way he wants it after you folded it. But you don't need to change your behavior or yourself or the way you're living to make this person happy. Because basically what they're saying is, I don't want to struggle with calming down, so I'd rather you just do things the way I want. It's not your problem, it's his, and you need to let it be his problem. So I want you to tune it out and ignore it. And But first set the boundary with this person, and how they respond to that will tell you everything. When you set a boundary with someone you're in a relationship with, how they honor it or don't honor it, then leads us to the next issue. And if they can't follow boundaries, then it's time to get the heck out of there because it will not be healthy. But no, that is absolutely not OCD. All right, y'all, that is our DM. Uh, coming up next, we're gonna talk about how to be uh, on the best first dates ever. Yeah, these are things we need to consider in all phases of relationships, even if you've been you know, married and exclusive forever. But there's certain things we need to do and uh, certain things we do that get in the way of us really showing up and having the best, most robust relationships. So we're going to break that on down and uh, then be doing some DMs, which are located on our Loveline IG page. Drop them on in there and we will answer your question and uh, past Loveline episodes over at wearechannelq.com. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about how to do a mental health check-in. So the first thing we got to do, we got to set some time aside. Now, of course, this is something that can be done anywhere. You can do this while at work. You can be finding a quiet space by going outside, sitting on a bench, taking a moment and going into the bathroom, right? Going into another room and closing the door, sitting in your closet, sitting in the bath. You can do this while you're in the shower. You can, this can be done anywhere. And, and I, the reason why it's important is because I don't want people to think, oh, it's one more thing to do. Oh, I have to do a mental health check-in. I have to focus uh, where, you know, how do I build that into my busy schedule? Where does that fit in? Oh, it's seconds and moments. And that's what I love. You can do it in line at a coffee shop, right? I'm doing this constantly throughout the day between sessions, while maybe I'm waiting, waiting in line outside to go in and get my coffee, whatever it is, at the supermarket. And that's what's so beautiful about this, driving somewhere, we've still got errands to run, even though we're in the middle of the pandemic, we still have some things we have to do. You can go out and sit in your car. There's so many beautiful ways to enact this, but you have to find somewhere quiet because it's about checking with yourself, right? We wanna be able to listen to what our body's communicating because our body can speak very loudly in terms of symptoms. Whenever you have a symptom, you have to say, what psychological message might my body be giving me? But for the mental health check-in, often it's a very quiet, it's a quiet voice that's speaking, right? Um, <clears throat> we're so used to multitasking, we're so used to having so many balls in the air and distractions that we forgot to how, we've forgotten how to check in and listen to ourselves. And so, although at some point you get so good that you can do this in the midst of a screaming child or a ridiculous coworker, um, in the beginning, sometimes you need to take time away from all that to really get more familiar and connected with your body, which is just a global part of mental health. Um, second, is just asking yourself, how, is, how are my how are the global responsibilities that I have, all the different roles that I play, right? All the different expectations. How well am I doing with fulfilling those? And, that, and that's the first mental health check-in is if I'm not able to show up as the way, in the way I wanna be as a partner, as a parent, as an employer, as an employee, as a friend, whatever it is, well then we're already off kilter. 
Because whatever the important responsibilities or relationships in your life, because I want the relationships to come first. So that's why it's not all about how are you at work. It's how are you in the multiple relationships you're in. That's the red flag. I don't like how I'm showing up as a parent. I'm always frustrated and stressed. Or I don't like how I'm showing up as a friend or a partner. I'm always tired. I'm always burnt out. I'm not able to be present. That is a sign that things aren't necessarily going well. I will always say that the quality and health of our relationships is a direct indicator of the health, our mental health. If we have robust mental health, our relationships will be doing well. And if our relationships are struggling, there's a lot of conflict, a lot of issues. It's a sign our mental health is not at its best. It's a good indicator. It's a good red flag. So it's like a relational assessment is a good self-assessment and vice versa, right? So you ask yourself also, have my feelings changed drastically? Am I unfamiliar with a lot of things I'm feeling? Is this new? Have my behaviors changed? And we talk about that in terms of coping mechanisms. Do you have all these new coping mechanisms and are you overusing them? Like, wow, alcohol is now a part of my life daily. Okay, well, that's a shift to take notice of. Uh, your relationship changing with food. I'm, I'm consuming more. I'm consuming less. We're staying out of diet culture. We're staying out of talk around weight. It's not about weight gain, weight loss, and all that. It's just about your relationship with food. Am I feeling more anxious? Am I feeling more secure? Right? And here's another big one. Again, it's that relational health being tied to mental health. Am I being calm and connected with people? Or am I always frustrated, irritable, and snapping at, every, at everyone? Am I jumpy all the time? It's a really powerful red flag that we're off balance right? Because being grounded and balanced is going to feel a little calmer, a little soother. Am I altogether just avoiding responsibilities, activities, and people? Because that's also a sign of just, I'm exhausted. And that means we need, to un we need to dismantle or change our relationship to whatever it is that's exhausting us. If you're unable, because of those factors, to show up as a grounded, available person in your life, then those factors need to shift. And that's a big one, changing your schedule. Then we also want to look at just the physical and the somatic. <clears throat> like I said, how's your eating? How's your sleeping, right? We now know it's not necessarily how much sleep you get as much as it's the quality of the sleep you get. We're centering and prioritizing rest. We've talked about that a lot. Rest is one of the most important things we can build into our lives. It's not lazy. It's rest. Oh, you're on the couch all day? Rest. That's good. That's okay. Because again, our worth and mental health is not tied to how productive we are. It's tied to how we feel in our bodies, how we're showing up to our relationships, and whether or not we're resting and healing. Again, our nervous systems are burnt out with all that's going on around us. You can't turn on the news without it being spiked. Do we have a lot of tension in our bodies, in our jaw, in our bodies, in our shoulders? Are we grinding our teeth? Are we tired and exhausted all the time? These are signs that we need to reorient the structure of our day and what we're prioritizing. That means maybe you're working too much. People then say, oh, self-care, I'll go to the gym. No, that's more work. That's more exhaustion. You need more rest. You need more joy and pleasure, not more work. And that's what happens. We work all day maybe at a job, and then we have to come home and do more labor. Working out, going grocery shopping, doing laundry, that's more labor. What we need is more joy and pleasure and more rest. How much joy and pleasure and rest have you had today? It shouldn't be something you have to earn or wait till the weekend for. You should get to have it every day. That is your birthright. That should come first. Build that in to the best you can. Let everything come after that. Also, we're not waiting till things are horrible and fall apart. And that's the final lesson is sometimes people, it has to get so bad before they feel like they have the right or they're going to assert making the changes that are needed. Let's do it before it gets bad, right? All right, so when we come up next, we're going to talk about first dates. How to make sure we have a first date that goes great because we are still able to date via technology and social distancing in a time of pandemic. And if not, when, when it all alleviates itself, which will happen at some point. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com.
All right, we're back and we're talking about first dates, how to have a good first date. Now remember, for those that are like, oh, this doesn't apply to me, I've been married for a decade. This does apply to you. Because remember, just because you're monogamous, just because you're committed, just because you're married, just because you live together, doesn't mean the work is done. Courtship and romance is an active open system that we always need to be engaging in. It's not a box we check and we're done. Oh, we live together, we're done now, we're married, now we're done, we have kids, now we're done. No, if you want joy and romance and pleasure and intimacy and sexuality, it's a process you stay in. And so all these tips and tricks that are considered with dating is also part of long-term committed relationship as well, right? But we are going to zero in. That's how that generally these skills always apply. Now we are going to zero in though a little more specifically on someone re-entering or re-meeting someone because there are some things you want to think about and skills you want to apply. Now, some of these are a little surprising, um, <laughs> but hang in there. First off is a lot of the things we think we need and what we uh, require are rooted in our ego. And we do want to drop the expectation a little bit and be willing to investigate what do these things actually look like in real time. Because our ego will tell us, based on our anxiety of what people will think and who we think we need to be with, it'll often lead us astray when we talk about how someone has to make a certain income or they have to be a certain height or a certain weight. No, that promises and has nothing to do with the quality of compatibility and chemistry. That's ego, that's social norms, and that's actually how we get in our own way. Anyone who has a list of demands and deal breakers is gonna get in their own way because people that are really open to relationship explore. When in doubt, they find out more. When in doubt, they go out they have the time and the energy. That's how you give yourself the best opportunity. You, you're honest with who you need and what you want, but you have to drop the bar a little bit. Okay, second one is, the goal in a date is not to be liked. We don't wanna say, where and create the kind of date that is rooted in what we think this person needs or wants, they like us. A date is about being known. We're there to be known, and we want our this other person to show up in a way so we can figure out if we enjoy each other, if there's chemistry, if there's compatibility. But if we're in our false self and we're just trying to win them over, well, then there's no honesty there. We can't really assess compatibility. I'm, I'm, I'm performing. I'm showing up doing what I think I need to do to win you over, but there's no real me for you to really see if, we're chem, if we have chemistry compatibility. And that's where people say like, ah, oh, in the beginning it was so romantic and you know we did all these things and then in the end we don't do that anymore. That's right, because the real person finally showed up and they don't like to do those things. So for instance, I'm a casual person. So a first date for me, we're gonna do casual things. I'm gonna let you know what it's really like to be in my life. I'm gonna make it romantic, I'm gonna make it fun, I'm gonna put thought into it, but it's gonna be honest with who I am and what it's like to be a part of my life. I don't like dressing up. I do like going out to restaurants, but I don't like dressing up and going to fine dining. And so we're not gonna do that on our first date. It's gonna be honest with who I am. And I wanna be with someone secure enough and confident enough where they get that and they respect that. And they're not saying, oh well, you know, the date wasn't over the top and fancy and a lot of money wasn't spent, clearly they don't like me. Oh, my God, that's that's the rhetoric of someone who's insecure, someone who wants performativity. That's not the sign of someone who wants truth and reality. I mean, I'm in a relationship, so I'm not going on dates, but that's how I lead it from the beginning, and that's how I found and have always found people that I'm really compatible with. I date from truth, and I want you to do that. Don't set up dates that are a lie. Don't sell a dream. Say, hey, I'm more of a morning person. And so let's meet up for brunch. Let's go to the beach. Let's go hiking. I'm not a nighttime person, so we're not going to do a 9 p.m. dinner, an 8 p.m. dinner. My days are long, you know? And so it's honest to who I am. I'm also vegan and plant-based, so we're going to go to vegan and plant-based restaurants. I need to see that you can participate in that element of my life. I'm also a non-drinker. I don't like bars, so it's not going to involve anything like that, right? And that's why we need to not sell dreams. We want to date and, and initiate what is honest with who we are. I don't want you to Google the perfect date. I want you to say what's honest for who I am. And I know that that's hard for some people 
because they want this big over the top dream. But at some point, the real person shows up and you're just delaying really getting to know compatibility because we want a real self. Also, remember, you have to give people multiple chances. Sometimes on the first date, they just had a bad day. We don't want to just go off first impression. First impression matters. It all matters. So I do want people to bring their best, but first dates for some people are hard in the context of their day, or maybe they're stressed. When in doubt, you go out three times if you have the time and energy. If you're unsure, you go out and find out more. The second date, people are gonna get a little more confident. They're a little more familiar with you. And by the third date, I think you'll get the most honest, basic assessment. People that really wanna be in a relationship put in the time and energy. They don't sit back just ruling people out quickly, thinking, oh, well, I, you know, I know what I want, and if they don't meet those criteria on paper or right away, I get rid of them. It's like, that's, that's a failing theory, and that's how people keep themselves single. Again, the people that are in relationships, really good ones, they've taken the time. And they don't jump right into a relationship, they date, which sometimes means talking and going out with multiple people. We date to decide if we want relationship. We don't jump into a relationship from the door, overexcited about the fantasy. Because again, remember, in the beginning, your assessment of this person is all fantasy and projection. You're making false assumptions based on what you've learned and what they look like, right? And you're in fantasy of who you think they are. The real them hasn't necessarily showed up yet. And that's why it takes a couple dates. More important, and I hope it doesn't have to come too soon, is also when we start to have a little bit of conflict. That's when we also learn what is this person like in times of conflict, and that matters, right? What's their integrity like? Because we're talking a whole lot more about that these days, which I'm glad about, where politics do matter because that's about someone's character, their ethics. We, we do want to know what their ethics and their character are about because that's going to impact the health of the relationship and each other. So we do care about that. We are assessing that. Those things do matter. So we need to talk more about that. Before, I talked a lot about physical chemistry, psychological, emotional chemistry, and then social chemistry, right? Do we like to do the same social things? If you're a non-drinker and I'm a drinker, what will that mean, right? Um, if you're indoorsy and I'm outdoorsy, what will that mean? But now we're also talking about ethical compatibility. What are your politics? Do you think white supremacy is awesome? Are you all about the patriarchy? Um, do you believe in collective responsibility? Uh, things like that, you know, are you racist? Are you comfortable engaging in racism? These are all the things that people wanna learn and know now. They wanna be with someone who's got good politics, someone who has good ethics, right? Especially if you're considering starting uh, having children. How, how will they be raised? What will the norms and values be? You know, all that matters. But we can't get any of that and figure any of that out if we're not showing up as our real self. So that's really the headline and, and the tag. True self at all times on those dates. Um, all right, y'all. DMs, they are wide open. If you got a question for us, drop it in there. It's always confidential. Anything you might be wondering about or struggling with could help someone else. So if you've got a question for us, go on our Loveline IG page. And uh, past episodes of Loveline are always over at We Are Channel Q. We'll be right back. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back. Now it's time for question of the night. Tonight's question says, President Joe Biden. Oh, it feels so much better to say that. <laughs> I, I was not a fan of saying president-elect. To me, we had two choices. The choice was going to have to be Biden, and uh, I was already calling him President Biden, but it feels good to officially, officially say that. So question of the night is, President Joe Biden says that one of his goals is to get schools back open in 100 days. Well, that's a big goal. This would mean that after all people, 65 plus, get their vaccines, kids under 18 would be next. Do you think 
That's a good idea. Now it's going to get a little punchy. We're going to learn a lot about people's thoughts on vaccinations, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it's going to get juicy. Um, but again, y'all, we don't have a lot of options as to how to get our, our lives back, our jobs back, our finances back, the economy back, mental health back, physical health back. Vaccines have prevented a lot, a lot of deaths and they've saved a lot of lives and they've gotten us through some really difficult, dark times. So question tonight again is uh, after the 65 plus crowd gets their vaccines, kids under 18 would be next. Do you think it's a good idea? First person said yes, because kids need to be in school. They're missing out on so much. Uh, for some kids, for some kids, school is actually very traumatic. Lots of bullying. They don't fit in. For others, it's phenomenal. They fit in, they make friends and they get their needs met. For a lot of um, kids, schools is where they get fed and they get taken care of and get access to different resources. So yeah, for some people, it's a lot more than just education. Talked a lot about it. I'm okay with kids missing out on a few semesters. We can just wipe that clean. Don't worry about it. You know, I'm not worried about the education part. I'm, I'm worried about people's public health, physical health and mental health. So, all right. Someone else said, in theory, it's a good idea. But I don't know how you can just keep kids and older people safe with so much of the population being between the ages of 18 and 65. And I agree with you. I think that's a really valid point. Um, we want to make sure the parents of these children are vaccinated, right? Because we're talking about the fact that a vaccination doesn't prevent other people from getting possibly infected by someone who's been vaccinated. Remember, we talked about this on an earlier episode. Um, I think it was last week. We talked about how vaccination doesn't mean you can't maybe possibly still transmit the infection to someone else. We're still getting more data on that. But you're right. If the kids are vaccinated and those over 65 are, what about the parents? What if they still get infected? Um, are they going to be able to take care of the children? You know, what kind of risk does it put the parents at when the kids in school? So we have to look at that, but you're right. There, there's so much more to it than just vaccinating the kids. Uh, someone else said that would depend on every kid getting vaccinated. And we all know that won't happen. I know. I agree. I already know tons of parents that I've heard say it's not happening. They're not getting their kids vaccinated and maybe they themselves aren't. So that'll be an interesting legal dilemma. Will schools mandate that for kids to return that they have to prove vaccination? Um, I'm curious to see. I think it'll most likely like everything else fall on the local ordinances, the state law, the federal law. Cause again, we still have people that aren't wearing masks or mandating that are following that. So it's like, if we can't get people to wear masks, do you think people are going to go get the vaccination? Are you kidding? The anti-maskers are, the anti-maskers are probably also anti-vaxxers. So I, I agree with you. Good idea. But let's see if that happens and let's see what kind of legal battles that leads to people making up fake vaccination cards, right? Like that's such a trust system. Is that vaccination card an authentic one or are people faking it? Vaccines are only 95 or 90% effective. So that, that four or 5%, their lives matter too. So that doesn't mean everyone's even protected. And then we're worrying about other strains. It's a big conversation. Sono said, um, kids definitely need to be back in school. It will help the kids and their parents. I agree. A lot of parents are not able to take care of the kids. They're trying to go out to go to work or they're at home still trying to work. Um, not everyone has the resources. So yeah, kids being in school allow some parents to get what they need to do done. Um, and some people are at home with only one computer and they might need it for work and they can't give it to kids for school or kids need it for school and they can't use it for work. It's heartbreaking, right? These things matter. Not everyone has access. Uh, we can't just go to the local library anymore to get free internet and things like that, right? I, I, we saw that meme of, not meme, but a picture of kids sitting outside of a fast food restaurant to utilize their internet, sitting on the ground trying to do homework. I saw a story of someone typing out papers for school on their phone because they don't have a laptop, right? So it's easy for people to say, go to school or work from home. If you have Wi-Fi, if you have internet, if you have enough computers for everyone, uh, question night is, uh, Biden says that, uh, one of his goals back to school in a hundred days, 
people over 65 getting their vaccines now. What about people under 18? That would be next. Is that a good idea? Someone said, I would love to send my kids back to school. I just don't think 100 days is enough time to make it safe. Maybe the fall is a better goal. I agree. 100 days? That's just over three months. Are you kidding? In three months, everyone's going to be able to find their way to a vaccination site and get their kid vaccinated? I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. <laughs> that is way too soon. Good luck with that goal. Go for it. I just don't see that happening. And I don't know what the rush is. I understand for some people like we're talking about, it's necessary to have them in school, but let's make sure we're doing it safely. Um, it's not possible for everyone. You have to have transportation to get the vaccination site. Remember, not everyone has a car or can afford to take public transportation or get everyone on public transportation. So there's a little classism in here. There is some racism. How close are these locations? Can people, do people have the ability to stand in line? People that are disabled might not be able to wait in line. I have clients that waited for over three hours. And uh, we'll close out on this one. Someone said, um, kids need to be back in school, but what happens if not every kid is vaccinated? The plan needs to be developed more, 100%. Like we said, there's not everyone's not even wearing, willing to wear a mask. <laughs> and now we're saying the else have to get vaccinated. Ooh, good luck. All right, y'all, question tonight is back up on our Loveline IG page. That, as always, is in the stories. Coming up next, we're going to be uh, sliding into those DMs. If you've got a DM for us, go to also to our Loveline IG page. Drop it on in there. Doctor's always in. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Alessa. Oh, I like that. Good name. I moved out to LA to work in the music industry. Yep. That's why I love LA. A lot of people come here to chase their dreams, their artistic, creative dreams, whether it's film, television, modeling, fashion. We got it all here. Plus beautiful panoramic skies, mountains, hiking every day, the beach. I love it. You can smell the ocean sometimes. Uh, you moved here right before the start of the pandemic. Oh, sorry, my heart hurts. I can't even imagine what that must have been like. Uh, anyway, you say, I took a huge chance in moving here, and now everything is on pause, and I feel like such a failure. I've gone into a depression, and I don't know how to get out of it. My family tells me to move home, but I'm sorry, Kansas just isn't for me, LOL. Are there any resources, free resources, excuse me, that can help me start feeling better so I can get back to my job hunt? First off, you, are, you can't be a failure and responsible for what's gone on with the pandemic and life getting put on hold. We have to learn how to put responsibility where it belongs. Um, who's responsible, honestly, are the people that refuse to wear a mask. Those are the people you should be upset with. Don't feel like a failure. Put your frustration and energy into being upset with the people that won't wear a mask and insist on going to parties and socializing. That's why we are in the mess we're in and continue to be. That's number one. That's who's at fault. And yes, shaming does work sometimes. Okay, I'm not a fan of shaming, but when people around you aren't following the rules and they're putting other people's lives at risk because people are literally dying, sometimes you need to shame them and sometimes it does work. So I wanna put that out there. Um, number two, free resources, yes. Um, you would wanna work with an intern, licensed therapist, understandably need to make money, it's their job and pay back student loans so they pay, you know, charge money. If you have insurance, reach out to your insurance provider, you absolutely will have mental health coverage, bam, solved. Um, but if not, yeah, you wanna reach out to university counseling centers or training centers. And the way you do that is you have to Google free therapy, free therapy Los Angeles, places will come up. Um, that would be students that are interns, um, which they can provide decent therapy. You know, you have to take advantage of what you have, but it's kind of like what I say over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Make sure you're getting sleep. Make sure you're focusing on some joy and pleasure in whatever way you can. Make sure you're getting outside and moving your body. 
Make sure you're fo- you are focusing on rest. We can only do the best we can. I can't remove the impacts psychologically from anyone of what's going on with the pandemic or if people are nervous about income and housing. You we should be nervous about that. You know, like that's real. That's not a mental health issue. Um, that's a cultural issue. We've culturally been failed and the, our government has not taken care of us. And so I want you to also put blame on that. Blame the government for not taking care of us. Absolutely. For not canceling rent, for not canceling student loans, <laughs> for not giving us money. <laughs> like that's where the blame goes. And you're at the mercy of that. And there's nothing any therapist can do to make that okay. Um, but if things are difficult enough, you might need to go home for a small period of time. I think it's great that your family in Kansas is welcoming you back. And so if you're feeling like it's too hard here and you're not getting your needs met, maybe go home for a couple months or go home until the pandemic's over and come back. I know that might be annoying. I know that might be expensive, but we've got to do the best with what we have. Um, and so therapy can maybe help you feel a little bit better, but maybe it won't, you know, therapy doesn't necessarily remove the anxiety and the depression. A lot of times therapy helps you learn how to better live with it. Um, because it's the result of a pandemic. And that means a lot of the anxiety and depression won't alleviate itself until the pandemic is gone, you know? So maybe it's smart to go home for a little bit, you know? I know that's not what you're looking for, but I'm glad you have that resource. Not everyone does. Uh, But in the meantime, yeah, you got to keep looking. It's tough. I might empathize with anyone who was counting on something happening last year, this year, that's had it taken away from them because of the pandemic, man. That's rough. And I have my own impacts. And that's why it's very frustrating to see how the government's handled it poorly. Um, We'll see what Biden does. And also seeing people continue to not follow the rules and spread and pass COVID along. It's very disheartening, you know? Um, People need to do better because people's lives have been ruined. Anyway, all right, y'all. That is our show. We will be back tomorrow night. And tomorrow night, we will be talking about myths of mental health because there are so many I bump into them all day long and we've all bought into them and they've had a negative impact on us. So we're going to be busting through those. Um, yeah, that's, that's all we can do the best we can do. And, and I feel bad sometimes that I don't have this magic cure, but, um, you know, we just got to kind of hang in there collectively. All right, y'all, that is our show. Thanks for hanging out with us. You can check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Please tonight focus on some joy, pleasure, some rest, and tons and tons of self-care. And y'all enjoy the rest of your night.